In John 13, 1 to 10, we saw the other night that Jesus loves his church. He loved the church. In that passage, he loved the church by washing their feet, by working through a misunderstanding with one of the church members, and then by warning of Judas' uncleanness. John 13, 1 through 10. Last night, we began in John 13, 12 to 20, saying Jesus is Master and Lord. Jesus is Master and Lord. Now, there's a false gospel that is preached by many across our country that says just talk about Jesus being Savior later after people are saved, then you talk about Him being Lord. But He is who He is, and He has He is the Lord. He's the Lord. He's the boss. He's the owner. And when people tell me they want to be saved, of course, I always say, that's wonderful. And then I typically will say, what do you mean you want to be saved? And that's where it often gets very interesting. They don't even know what they're talking about. But that's good to ask questions so then we can help them because we want them to be saved. And invariably, if we can continue talking, I will say, do you understand Jesus is Lord? He wants to save you to take over your life. And if you don't want that, then you don't want Jesus. And there's not any salvation anywhere other than by the Lord Jesus Christ. He is Master and Lord. He's Lord of His church. And He promoted this in John 13, verses 12 to 20, as He then takes the fact that He is Master and Lord, He promoted humility, and He prophesied of Judas' betrayal, and He promised authority to His sent ones. We began to see this last night. Let's read the passage. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily. And when Jesus says verily, verily, you better really pay attention. He's saying truly, truly. You better get this. Amen, amen. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen. But that the scripture may be fulfilled, he that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it come, that when it is come to pass, ye may believe that I am he. And the I am there is a definitive, it's the same as I am that I am, Moses. It's a declaration of deity. You're going to meet some people that will say, well, I believe Jesus is a good man, but he's not God. You ought to ask him this question. Would a good man go around claiming he's God? You can't have it both ways. You can't say he's a good man and then say he's not God. Because a good man doesn't go around saying, I am. I'm master, I'm Lord, I'm God. Jesus is the Lord God. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He said before Abraham was, I am. And when he says this here, I am, that's That's the Greek phrase, ego I me. It's I am. He is the I am that I am. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him, that's the Father, that sent me. Heavenly Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, we ask you tonight to help us, please, with the preaching of the Word of God. Get glory unto Christ and the church, we pray. Fulfill all your good pleasure, we pray. Keep us from evil, please. Let the word of the Lord have free course and be glorified. And deliver us from unreasonable and wicked men and even from wicked, evil spirits. In Jesus' name we pray that you'll help us. Amen. Remember that the twelve were debating about who was the greatest among them, according to Luke chapter 22. They were having this strife and comparing and counting up who's the greatest among them. And as they're having this argument, Jesus, at the end of supper, stands up from his seat, lays aside his garments, puts on the slave towel, 
it proceeds to wash their feet doing the lowest, dirtiest, most menial work that a slave would do in a household at that time. None of them had done that for each other. This is to teach them a lesson. They get the lesson. He's dealing with cleanness and uncleanness spiritually. He works through that misunderstanding with Peter. He teaches them that clean people still need their feet washed. Saved people still have to say, Lord, please forgive me. I have sinned against you. And saved people still have to forgive other saved people. And saved people have to restore people that are doing wrong and exhort one another and rebuke one another and edify one another. And so Jesus washed their feet. And as we said, he worked through that misunderstanding with Peter and he warned them of Judas' uncleanness. Now he promotes humility as master and Lord. He is master, he is teacher. He's the indoctrinator of the church. He's the head of the church. And we're to set our affections on things above, not on things on the earth. We're to set our affection on the head. And our doctrine and our practice better come from the head. And if it's not from the head, then we're setting our affection somewhere else. It's from the head, Jesus Christ. He's in, he is the great indoctrinator. He received doctrine from the Father and then transferred it. He received it and then transferred it to the apostles. And what he has given his churches through the apostles, that's doctrine from the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the teacher, the indoctrinator. And he is the Lord. He's the boss. It's his house. He's in charge. And as master and Lord, he promoted humility. <clears throat> we looked last night at the question he asked, Know ye what I have done to you? Some would say if you're a good leader, you don't ever point out what you've done, but Jesus pointed out what he did. He said, do you see what I just did? You need to do that. You need to follow me. He reminds them that he is master and Lord. <clears throat> Some say, excuse me, I'm about to die. I'm going to take a drink. <clears throat> I'm going to give you a play-by-play -play of me uh, dying and taking a drink, but I won't do that. <clears throat> All right, mental note, not two pieces of bacon right before preaching. Just one. <laughs> I just had bacon and eggs and coffee and the bagel. I usually do that an hour and a half before I preach. But I'm not going to tell on anybody, but my cook for the night didn't have it ready for me until about 50 minutes before I preached. So you can blame that certain person, but I won't disclose that information. Jesus is Master and Lord, and he points out what he did. You have to do that very cautiously as a leader, amen, pointing out what you're doing that would look good, that would commend you, that should be followed but it does need to be done at times. Those things which you have both learned and heard and seen and received in me, Paul said, do. As Master and Lord, he reminds them, I am Master and Lord. I am Master and Lord. It is appropriate at times to say, hey, I'm your dad. Hey, I'm the husband, and I'm trying to help you. I'm not thumping my chest. I'm not saying, I'm the big guy in charge, but I'm saying I am the leader of this home. It's appropriate at times when necessary and humbly for the glory of God and for the good of others to say, folks, I'm the pastor. Amen. If your pastor has to say that, don't get offended at that. It ought to make you perk up and say, whoa, we better get a hold of this. He's actually, quote, laying down the pastor card. It's important to do that sometimes. We shouldn't need that every Sunday and every midweek. But if your pastor stands up at some time, and says, I'm the bishop of this church, and you need to hear what I'm saying to you. It's not a time to be offended and say, well, if he was a good bishop, he wouldn't have to remind us. Jesus reminded them. And Paul reminded at times as well of his authority under the Lord. And so Jesus then, as reminding them, as he's reminding them of his position, he promotes humble service. We're doing a quick review of last night. He taught them as teacher, and he made a great promise to them as Lord. As he taught them as the teacher, he took a very simple truth that anybody would be able to recognize and affirm. The servant is not greater than his master. That's an axiomatic truth. Who in their right mind is going to argue with that? The servant is not greater than his master. And then he turns it around and it says, if I'm the master, and he is the master, it's a first-class conditional, if I am the master, if I'm the master, and I do this, then you ought to follow my example. 
Jesus taught simple truth. You ever notice that? He told simple stories, like a sower went out to sow, and he flung his seed, and some of it went on good ground. Some of it went on hard ground where the birds took it. Some of it went on thorny ground. He told simple stories, like the story of the prodigal son. Jesus told simple stories, and he preached simple truth, and he gave simple promises, and I'm glad because that's what we need. The word is nigh us. It's even in our mouth. It's not out on the other side of the moon. It's not over on Mars or something. We have it here, and much of Scripture is very simple and easy to understand. We do agree with Peter. Some things are hard to be understood. But Jesus so often just taught simple truth. Class, church, Peter, and others, the servant is not above his master. Yes, everybody can agree with that. Okay, now take that simple truth and apply it to life. That's good. You know what some people think good teaching is? They think it's talking in a way that everybody leaves going, wow, that guy's a genius. I don't know what he was talking about, but he is so smart. That's actually not good teaching, friends. The teaching you get service after service in this church where the Word of God is read distinctly, the sense is given, and it's actually applied to real life, that's actually good Bible teaching. That's good Bible teaching. And if that's what you get, and it is, then you ought to praise God for that. That's teaching like Jesus. That's teaching like Paul. That's teaching like Peter. That's teaching like Jude. That's teaching like John. That's teaching and preaching biblically. Jesus taught them the simple truth, and then as Lord, he made this wonderful promise. He said, if you know these things, the first if, remember, first class conditional if. You could say since. If you you know these things, and you do know these things. Happy are ye if, third class condition, that is if, you do them. You may or you may not. If you know them, there's not a blessedness, there's not a happiness just from knowing. There's not a blessedness and happiness even if you say, I know them. Matter of fact, I can recite them. I can write them down by memory. I can memorize the passage. I can break them all down in the Greek and everything else. There's not a blessedness in that. It's a blessedness if you actually know and do. And biblically, you have not received truth until you have received it mentally and your heart, and it actually transfers to doing. You have not received it unless it transfers to doing and actually being. Anything short of that is not reception of the truth. Now, I know in our school system here in America, you've received the information, and you can answer all the questions right on the test, and they say, okay, you got it. But you and I know a lot of people can graduate and everyone can say they got it with their diploma, but they don't really get it. You could go to a Dave Ramsey financial course and you can learn everything that guy teaches. You can get all the answers right on all the tests and you could still go on taking on more and more and more debt until you're bankrupt. That's right. But you could say, but I graduated and I know. I've had people tell me, I've got all these problems with money and I say, what would you tell me to do with that? They tell me, and I say, you're exactly right. Why don't you do that? They've passed all the tests. They know it, but they're not doing it. So they really haven't received it. If ye know these things, and the word know, remember, has to do with you know it, it's a settled matter. You don't keep going back and examining. You know Jesus is Lord. You know He is Master. You know He humbled Himself. You know you need to follow in His steps. You know that. That's settled. If you know these things, happy, blessed are ye, if ye do, and the do is not, Yes, I used to do them, so I can claim this promise. No, it's lifestyle. It's ongoing. You continually are doing these things. Well, 20 years ago, I had a problem with someone in the church, and I confronted them, and we dealt with that, and we worked through it, and I forgave them. So I I can claim the promise. But I'm not doing that anymore because I'm just done with them. I'm not dealing with them anymore. Then you can't claim this promise. You continue to do these things. And then we moved to our next portion of the passage, Jesus promoted humble service, and he promised happiness. As the Lord, he can make a promise. He doesn't have to say, Lord willing. He doesn't have to say, if circumstances allow, like we always have to say, he can just promise. Happy, happy, blessed are ye if ye do them. And then we see in verses 18 and 19, he prophesied of Judas' betrayal. Let's see this tonight. Jesus prophesied of Judas' betrayal. I speak not of you all. Why did he say that? That promise he just made, that's not for everybody. Here's a promise. 
If ye know these things, happy are ye if you do them. I speak not of you all. That promise is not for everybody here tonight. It's not for Judas. It is not for Judas. It's for, as he said, I know whom I have chosen. It's for his people. It's for the called of God. It's for the born-again ones. It's for the ones that the Father gave to him. It's for the ones who've repented and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ or his committed servants. It's not for Judas. Judas was never going to be happy or blessed. Judas is an apostate. Judas is a reprobate. Judas is one who will sell out the Lord for some silver. Judas does not love Jesus. Judas loves Judas. Judas is not following Jesus. Judas is following Judas. And so this promise is not for Judas. I mentioned, I think it was last night, a lot of people will say, every promise in the Bible is mine. Well, to begin with, a lot of, a lot of them are negative promises, so I wouldn't claim them. But then you have people that claim these promises and they're not walking with the Lord. Oh, the Lord is my shepherd. No, if the Lord's your shepherd, then you'll follow his voice. He leads you. And so Jesus shows this promise is not for everyone. And he reveals that soon he would be betrayed by one of them. And this teaches us, this reveals to us that the betrayal by Judas and the presence in that church of Judas and the participation of Judas in this great ministry in the Gospels was not an accident. Judas was not a colossal mistake. Judas was a fulfillment of Scripture. Now at this point, one of our puny mortal minds might want to say, well, wait a second, if that's that, then that might mean that, and that, and that doesn't seem fair. And we answer, who art thou that replies against God? Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? If we had all the facts that God had, we might be able to make perfect sense of all this, but God chose to reveal what he chose to reveal, and we don't delve into the secret things. We, we delve into what is actually revealed. And what we know is revealed is that Judas is a fulfillment of Psalm 41.9, and he's no accident, and he's no mistake, and all of this was according to the good plan of a good and gracious and wonderful God. And it's just another place to highlight the power and the wisdom and the sovereignty of God. So don't reply against God. And Jesus, in giving this prophecy, says, Now I tell you, one of you, one of the apostles is going to betray me. Now I tell you, the apostles, before it come, that when it is come to pass, ye may believe that I am he. Now I cannot believe that Jesus is implying that at this point they did not believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God. Peter's already twice affirmed publicly with the rest of them, it seems, given consent that he was convinced, and he said, we believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen? So this does not mean that some would try to twist the Scriptures to say they weren't saved yet. They had heard John the Baptist preach. They had repented. They had believed on him who should come. When John said, behold the Lamb of God, they got in line with Jesus. When Jesus told them to leave your nets and follow me, leave your tax collecting table and follow me, put down your sword, Simon Zelotus, and follow me, they did that. They were a people prepared for the Lord. They received the doctrine. They received the practice. He sent them out preaching and baptizing. Amen. He called them his church. He gave them church discipline. He named them apostles and set them in the church. These were saved men, but their faith would be further solidified or established or strengthened when they, after the betrayal by Judas, would look back and say, he told us it would happen. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He knows the future. When it would come to pass, he's saying, you will have your faith further strengthened that I am He. I am the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus as Lord and Master promoted humble service. Jesus as Lord and Master prophesied of Judas' betrayal. And Jesus as Lord and Master, verse 20, where we'll spend the rest of our time, promised his authority and the authority of God the Father to His sent ones to His church. Verse 20. Verily, verily, I say unto you. Do you know there's some 
super-duper commentators that say this verse almost seems out of place here. I don't buy that for a second. I believe the verses are just in the order God wants them in. And I'm going to tell you why in a minute. I think it's beautiful placement. Of course it is. It's where God put it. But in, even in my little mind, I can see the beauty of this placement right here where Jesus said this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. In this message, Jesus, Lord and Master, promised his authority to his sent ones. This is a message of comfort. If you're taking notes, write that line down right there. This is a message of comfort. All right. Secondly, this is a message of confidence. And thirdly, this is a message of condemn condemnation. Condemnation. I want you to think about this with me from this verse. A message of comfort. Jesus has just said, One of you will betray me. One of you that eateth bread with me will lift up his heel against you. I'm telling you this before it come to pass. And then he follows that up with, But I am sending you, and I am sending you with the authority of heaven itself, with the authority of God the Father and God the Son. Get it. Judas will be Judas, but Jesus will still be Master and Lord. As Lord, He can still send, just as the Father sent Him. And in John chapter 20, He said, As the Father has sent Me, even so send I you. And in Matthew 20, 18, All power is given unto Me. Authority power, amen? All power is given unto Me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. One of you will betray me, but that's not going to diminish my being master and my being Lord, not by one iota. Judas is going to betray me. He didn't give the name yet, but one will betray me, but I'm sending you. And whoever receives you receives me and receives him that sent me. That is a message of comfort. You know, those men receive that. I want to show you something in Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, can we find Acts? I didn't say run to Home Depot and get an X. I said the book in the Bible. Turn to Acts chapter 1. <clears throat> and I find this very interesting. The Lord Jesus ascends into heaven, right? Two men stand by and say, what are you guys doing? Staring up into heaven. He told you what to do. So, so they go back to Jerusalem, right? Verse 12, they returned unto Jerusalem, and they're up in that room, and they're praying. And in those days, Peter stood up. Verse 15, is everybody there? Acts 1, 15. In those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of the names together were about 120. Here's what Peter says. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guided to them that took Jesus. For obtained part of this ministry. Stay filled with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. Now, Peter just didn't go to university and learn how to be cuth. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, he's a fisherman, right? He says, he fell down headlong, and all of his guts went flying out. <laughs> okay, Peter, thank you for that. <laughs> but everybody knew what he was talking about. He's a very simple preacher, it seems. This is the point I'm trying to make tonight. He goes on to say, it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, and so much as that field is called in their proper tongue, Akeldama, that is to say, the field of blood, for it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate, and no man, let no man dwell therein. And his bishopric, does that let you know Judas was a bishop? Does that let you know that the twelve were bishops? They were pastors as well as apostles. And his bishopric let another take. Wherefore of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John. That's where Mark puts the beginning of the New Testament. That's where Peter puts it. Under that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection, and we know what happened. And this is what I find interesting here. Judas 
one of the 12 pastors, one of the apostles, right? One of the chosen to be apostles. He has betrayed the Lord. And you have, uh, from the, from the uh, crucifixion to the day of Pentecost, you've got 50 days. Is that right? Okay? So, from the crucifixion to the uh, ascension. Am I right? And now you've got, before 50 days, 50 days have gone by since Judas did his nasty deed, which would upset the church and would maybe blow some fuses and some heads. It could be very upsetting and very unsettling. You know what Peter does? He basically says, okay, folks, we all know what Judas did, and it's time to get done with that and move past it. Amen? Amen. Should we keep on for the next five years praying about that and rehearsing and rehashing everything about Judas? No. Is it a shame? Yes. Is it sad? Yes. But the Lord said it would happen. Acknowledge it. Replace him. Let's go forward. Judas did what Judas would do. Jesus is still master and Lord. They got what Jesus was saying. It's going to happen, but you're still being sent. You've still got a job to do, and I'm still doing it with you. And it's not just you men, it's me, and it's the Father. Jesus sent with authority. It's a message of comfort. Later, they would have Ananias and Sapphira lie to the church and be killed by the Lord right there in church. And what would they do? The young man would wind them up and bury them and let the church roll on. Amen? That's what they did. And later, you'd have Simon the sorcerer messing around down there in uh, Samaria. And what do they do? They rebuke him. Peter rebukes him. And they let him go on. And the church keeps on going on there. And later, you'd have um, uh, over in the, in the city of Ephesus, a church established. And the pastoral staff would meet with Paul. And Paul says, you're going to have wolves. And you're going to have even men of the pastoral staff that will rise up seeking to lead away people after themselves. What do you do? Keep on doing what the Lord gave you to do. Because you still have the Lord. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. It's a message of comfort. Men, I've just washed your feet. You call me Master and Lord because I am Master and Lord. You must do what I have done. And one of you is going to betray me, but I'm still sending you. And whoever receives you receives me and receives the Father. That's comforting, isn't it? That's a message of confidence. I, the Master and Lord, am sending you, and Jesus is letting them know there will be some who receive you. There will be some who receive you. At that time, when they were in that upper room, did it seem like there was going to be much of a reception? They're scared for their lives. They pretty much all agreed with Thomas, we're all going to get killed up in Jerusalem. Amen. We might as well go and die with him. But Jesus is showing them, This is dark, and this is dismal, and he is troubled in his soul, and he says so twice in these days, at least twice, and yet he says, I'm sending you, and there will be people that will receive you. Praise the Lord. You know, over in 1 Timothy, when you read about uh, how Paul said to Timothy, I wrote this to you that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Then he says, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, right? Seen of angels, I might get this out of order, justified in the spirit, believed on in the world. That's a great mystery that anybody would believe. Isaiah said, Lord, who hath believed our report? Who is going to believe this? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of the dry ground. Who is going to believe this? but God knows what he's doing. Some will believe. Have you ever looked at the uh, last chapter of the book of Acts, chapter 28? Uh, there's a verse there that has brought me comfort, unlimited, unlimited comfort so many, many times. And that has Paul under house arrest in the city of Rome, and Paul is preaching the gospel to anybody that will come over to the house and listen to him preach. And God had Luke write in verse 24 of Acts 28, and some believed the things which were spoken, and some believe not. 
And if Abel was here, he'd say, that was my experience too. Amen. And if Noah was here, he'd say, same here. Some believed. Matter of fact, my family believed and nobody else. But thank God, my family got in the ark. And if Abraham was here, he could say, my experience too. Some believe and some believe not. And you could go right on through Scripture. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel could say, some believed. It looks to me like Nebuchadnezzar believed. But not Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. Some believed not. And you go to John the Baptist and say, how did it go for you, John? John the Baptist could say, some believed, but Herod took my head off. But some did believe. Some did believe. And you'll see it all the way through the Bible and all the way right down to this hour. You know what brings me encouragement? Some will believe. Some will receive. Jesus said, you're going to go. I'm sending you. And he's, in so many words, you, you could say that he's saying, have some confidence. Trust me, there will be some reception. Well, it didn't seem real good then. But it wasn't too many days later when Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost, filled with the Holy Ghost, and preached one of the shortest, most direct little ser- People would say it's a sermonette today. And before that day's over, before the sun sets, about three thousand men have repented believed on Jesus and they're getting baptized and added to the church and continuing with the apostles isn't that awesome Paul goes uh, goes preaching and some believe and some believe not in Damascus he goes down to Jerusalem and they put him on a boat and send him back up to Tarshish he goes through all that misery up there but some people believed and some didn't believe and then he goes to Antioch and then they go to Cyprus and then they go north up into Turkey and across the, <clears throat> the empire and then back and forth and back again, then around over to, uh, over to um, Europe, and some believed. And here we are tonight because some believed. Jesus gave them this confidence when he said, you've got authority. He that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent you. There will be some reception of you, which is actually the message you're preaching, is Christ, and he's from God the Father. But this is also a message of condemnation. Jesus is Master and Lord. Jesus is Master and Lord, and He has promoted humility, and He has prophesied of Judas' betrayal, but He's promising His authority to His sent ones. And this authority promise is comforting, and it's confidence-building, but it's also a message of condemnation. Now hear this, and hear this well. Judas is being informed, and they're all being informed, that Judas did not merely reject a man named Jesus. Some guy who was born in Bethlehem and raised up in Nazareth and went about doing good things and preaching good things and who lived an odd life and who attracted a lot of attention. And Judas thought maybe he'd be someone special, the Messiah. Maybe he'd overthrow Rome's bondage in Israel or something. And now it's looking like it's not going as planned. Judas isn't just rejecting some guy, some man, some political hero, some great figure. Judas is rejecting God the Father and God the Son. The Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees weren't just rejecting some man named Jesus. They were rejecting God. And whoever would reject the message and the ministry of Peter, James, John, Bartholomew, Thaddeus, Simon, and the rest of them, they're not just rejecting some excited fishermen, some men who've been transformed to have better character or something. They're rejecting the church of the living God who has given them authority to carry the message of His Son, and they're rejecting the Christ that David prophesied of, the Christ that was promised in the Garden of Eden, They're rejecting the Christ that Moses prophesied of. They're rejecting the Christ who will come and rule and reign. They're rejecting God's Son, and they're rejecting God the Father. A lot of those Jews at that time, oh, we're not rejecting God. We're just rejecting you. It doesn't work that way. Some of us sometimes think, well, these Jews are great people today, 2018. It's too bad, you know, because they really love God. They just don't love Jesus. You're deceived if you think that. They have rejected God. And we want them saved, amen? We have a burden and a desire for them to be saved, but we're not helping them by thinking or voicing, well, they worship the same God we worship and all. They just haven't received Jesus. They've rejected God. It's a terrible matter. It's an awful thing. Back in John chapter 5, 
when Jesus had healed that weak and sickly man on the Sabbath day. You know what Jesus did on the Sabbath day when he healed him? He loved his neighbor as himself. He did not withhold good from someone that he ought to give it to when it was in the power of his hand to do it. That honors God. That honors the Sabbath day. And when that man picked up his bed and carried it, he was obeying Christ, the Lord of the Sabbath, on the Sabbath day. He was not breaking the Sabbath. He was obeying God. The Lord of the Sabbath told him to pick happily. I mean, this guy just got healed. This is a happy thing. This isn't a burden. He can pick up his sleeping bag, if you will, and carry it home. What a blessing. But these scribes and Pharisees jumped on Jesus and tried to accuse him of being ungodly and wicked. And he answered them in verse 17, My father worketh hitherto. That's present tense. Like, we've been working forever, and we're going to keep on working forever. We're never ending working together. And I work, and they wanted to kill him, verse 18, because they knew that he was making himself equal with God. Well, they wanted to pretend they were just rejecting him and not God, but he told them in verse 23 that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. And you can take that and you can tie that over to, uh, to chapter 13, verse 20, and you can tie that to chapter 16, verse 3, and I'm just going to go ahead and read 16, 3. And these things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. And you can say this. It's impossible to say, I believe God and I receive God, but not Jesus. That's impossible. And it's just as impossible to say, well, I believe God and Jesus, but I just, I don't accept the church. I'm against the church. I don't accept it. I, I don't want anything to do with these people that preach the Bible and all. It doesn't work that way because Jesus sent the church with his authority. Now, let, let's just look at another passage that would relate to this, and, and that would be, uh, and I'll just read this, but Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, and I think about verse 12 would probably be a good place to start. Well, verse 10, But into whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you not, go your ways out into the streets of the same, and say, Even the very dust of your city which cleaveth on us, we do wipe off against you. Why? Why? I mean, all they did was not hear these preachers. I mean, who do they think they are? They're just preachers, right? No, he said, you say, be ye sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. You've rejected the kingdom of God. Is the Lighthouse Baptist Church made up of God's ambassadors? Yeah, Jesus is king. Jesus is ruling, according to the Psalms, in the midst of his enemies. How is he doing that? Through his churches. He walks in the midst of his churches. He's rolling in the midst of his enemies in his churches, through his churches. We're his ambassadors. His churches, I call them the embassies. And when this church sends ambassadors out into this community giving the gospel, people say, get off my lawn. I don't want to hear you. They may not know it. But they're rejecting the kingdom of God. They're rejecting the church of the living God. I often pray when we're evangelizing, and I say, God, have mercy on them. They're so stupid. They don't know what they're doing, Lord. Lord, I've been ignorant and stupid too. I've been foolish. Have mercy on them. Particularly when I try to help young people that are rejecting the truth, I have many times gotten on my face and said, God, have mercy. They are so full of stupidity and foolishness. Remember, Lord, they are silly. They are given over to foolish, youthful lusts. Have mercy on them as you have on me and so many others and help them to realize they're not just rejecting some guy that's standing behind a pulpit. They're rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ who sent that man with authority. I remember one time handing out tracts on a street corner in Brunswick. and The Catholics were having a big carnival. And, and that's what they do. Carnival comes from the word for flesh, right? It's a big fleshly mess. And they were having this carnival, and I stood on a corner across the street, gave away about 500 tracks in one hour. And one, one teenage boy walked up to me, and, and he, he said with all his friends there, and they were all mocking, but he said, the thing about you, man, is he said, you're just scary. You're just weird. You know, it, just, it scares people what you're doing. It's just it's scary. And, that, and that's one of the ploys today of people on the left and all. We're scary, and we're weird, and we make them uncomfortable on so many levels and all that. And, of course, I, I wanted to argue with them, but... I think it's better to say, Lord, have mercy on him. He doesn't know what he's doing. It's so foolish. 
He thinks he's rejecting some guy that's standing there that he can look at. He doesn't understand that the authority of heaven is invested in this man because I'm set in the Lord's church, amen? And as a pastor in the Lord's church, we have authority from Jesus. This is a message of condemnation. Don't reject the preaching, the teaching, the practices of the Lord's church. We didn't just invent this stuff because we wanted to have a cool religious social club. This is the word of God. This is God's will that we're preaching and we're doing. And I want to apply this for a minute to, to church members. I want you to look over at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Something the Lord showed me years ago when I preached through 1 Thessalonians. <clears throat> 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. How far does this authority go? How much of it is how much of this rejecting scripture and preaching and all really is rejecting Christ and rejecting God the Father? Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you, look at this, by the Lord Jesus. Now, wouldn't that carry some serious weight with you if you believe in Jesus? I'm exhorting you <clears throat> by the Lord Jesus that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to what? Please God, so ye would abound, lots and lots, right? More and more. <clears throat> For ye know what commandments we gave you by who? The Lord Jesus. You following what Paul's writing here? For this is the what? Will of God even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel and sanctification and honor. This is the will of God. Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God. So he's writing to save people. He's telling them, you flee fornication, you abstain from fornication. Is it possible for a saved person to do that? Well, sure it is. Otherwise, why would he be telling them not to? But see, we're, we're here on this earth, and we live among all these unsaved Gentiles, and we see what they do and how they live and what they sing about and what they have television shows about and everything else. And, and at times we think, well, it's not that big of a deal, is it? So what? And, well, you know, if I did or, or there's this opportunity. Paul says this is the will of God. You don't look at them. You look at God's will. That no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any manner. Matter Because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us out of darkness and the light. God hath not called us unto uncleanness. God's called us out of darkness and the light. Amen? God didn't call us like that, so then we turn right around and live an unclean life. In this context, fornication. But God's called us unto, verse 7, what? Holiness. And then Paul knows, the Holy Spirit knows and has him right. There's going to be people that will say, well, that's Paul, you know. I mean, Paul, for one thing, you know, he's, he's a single man. What's he even know about all this? And he's old. And he's been through so many physical difficulties, beaten with rods and stones and everything. These things probably aren't even an issue for him anymore. And I've read, brother, that if a man was beaten with rods, there was no more even potential for fornication. And they would know that. And some of them might have been uh, tempted to think, well, what's that even matter to him? He's basically a eunuch at this point. And anyway, I mean, these are, you know, we understand in the Old Testament, you know. And we understand in the 1800s, this was an issue, you know, that, you know, back in the Victorian era. I guess that's it. Everybody wants us to live like we're in the Victorian era or something here. There's a preacher that years ago, someone said about him, you're trying to take us all back to the 19th century. And he said, no, I'm trying to get you back to the first century. First century Christianity lived now in the 21st century. Paul knows, Holy Spirit knows, he has him right. God's not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. But he knows how people will respond when we don't think right and when we're carnal and fleshly in our thinking and when we want an excuse for our sin. And so he says, he therefore that despiseth, you want to despise the preaching we've done? You're not despising man, verse 8, but God, who hath also given us His Holy Spirit. 
And so for lost people, when they won't receive God, or they, don't, they won't receive the message, the church that comes preaching and teaching, it's not just they're ignoring God's church. They're not receiving Jesus' message of the gospel. They're not receiving Jesus, and they're not receiving the Father. And as church members, when we're tempted to hear a, we're tempted to respond to a Bible message by going, oh, that, you know, it doesn't really apply to me. Despise us. I'm just not going to take that seriously. I'm not really going to receive and do that. You better be warned. It's not just Jason Byler that you're despising. It's not just Gary Webb you're despising, Bobby Mitchell you're despising, Joe Russ or whatever preacher that's a genuine New Testament Bible-believing, born-again, local church, you know, real man-of-God preacher. You're not just despising that guy, quote-unquote. You're despising the word of the living God given by the Holy Spirit of God. This is important. I'll just remind you of one more thing from 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. Pastors, feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint but willingly, not for filthy lucre but ever ready mind. They labor among them, and they... lead them and rule under the lordship of Jesus Christ by saying this is what God says and that's what we're doing. The Bible says they're over you and they're among you. That's the kind of pastor you have here at Lighthouse, isn't it? He leads biblically. He's over you biblically, but he's also among you. Brother Byler, we don't say amen, and he, and he goes running. And he's out the door off to his place, and then he'll be back mounting the sacred desk on Sunday morning. And you don't get to talk with him. You don't get to observe him. You don't get to see him. No, he's not that kind of guy. He labors among the Lord's church. Praise the Lord. So, pastors, be ready to uh, stand before the chief shepherd, etc. Younger, submit yourselves. All of you be subject one to another. Look at verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty, what? Hand of God. Well, what's the matter if I don't listen to him? He's just a man. The pastor, the parents, when you're still under your parental authority, the parents, the pastor, the husband, the government, etc., these authorities that are of God, that's the mighty hand of God in our life. And when we say, well, he's just a man, he's God's man. It's the mighty hand of God. Well, I do obey God, but he stands up there and me from the Bible, I ought to die, but I'm, I'm not doing that. I can't afford that. The truth is, you can't afford not to do that. Well, I know, you know, my, my husband, he is my husband. Christ is his head and my husband's my head. But in this matter, I just, I, unless you have clear scripture and you've got to obey God rather than men, you better submit to him. Well, my parents, they're not perfect. What's that have to do with anything? Never has had anything to do with anything. They're your parents. You honor them. You obey them. Amen? Unless they try to get you to violate clear scripture, you better obey them. Well, I do love God. I'm just not obeying my dad. That's the mighty hand of God in your life. Submit yourself unto the mighty hand. Don't be like these people who say, well, I do receive Jesus, but not his church. Or I do receive God the Father, but not Jesus. You can't break it up. Those Pharisees... If you could interview the Pharisees one by one in the first century, every one of them would have said, we're all about Christ. We want Christ. We love Christ. We pray for the coming of Christ. But the actual Christ came, and they rejected Him, and they crucified Him. And people today will say, oh, I'm all about Christ. I have a thank you Jesus sign in my front lawn. I'm all good, man. I got it all set. I'm all about Christ. But then you have the actual Christ preached and His actual practice practice, and they say, I don't want anything to do with that thought you were for Christ. Just like the Pharisees. We're all for Christ. But here he is and we don't want... No, we want our version of Christ. And so there's a condemnation in this. If you, if you receive those apostles that Jesus sent, you've received Jesus and you've received the Father. And Judas did not receive Jesus. So he didn't receive the Father. It's a message of condemnation. Don't reject the Lord's messengers. 
It's a message of comfort. If you do receive the message of Christ given by His churches, praise the Lord. It's a message of confidence, but it's also a message of condemnation. And this is all verily, verily. Amen? You can't play with us. You can't work around it. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. Jesus is Master and Lord. He said, you say I am, and you say well. As Master, as Teacher, He says, learn of me, learn simple truth and simple practice, and do it. As Lord, He commands. As Lord, He makes a promise. And as Lord, He gives this, he gives this authority to His sent ones. And you need to ask yourself a question. Are you learning from the Master, the Lord Jesus? Well, I do learn from Jesus. That's why I'm not in any church, and I'm not interested in any pastor telling me anything. It's just me and Jesus. You can't do that because Jesus said that He gave pastors for the teaching. He said that through His Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians. You need a pastor. You need a church. Are you learning of Jesus from the Scripture? Are you learning of Him from His Word, from His pastors, from your church? Are you learning of Him from your godly parents? You better learn of Jesus from them. Are you laying hold on this promise? Happy are ye if ye do them. Are you comforted and confident in His authority that He's given to the church? Or are you in condemnation because actually, practically, you're rejecting Jesus? You're rejecting Him. You haven't believed the gospel. You haven't been born again. Or maybe as a born-again person right now, there is a point of Scripture, doctrine and practice, where you're not submitting to it. You're practically rejecting the Christship, the Lordship, and the Mastership of Jesus in that area. And you might think, well, big deal. It's not like anything bad is happening. Don't mistake God's patience and His long-suffering. Don't mistake that for God not caring. He does care. And you're His child, and He's not going to let you persist in rebellion. Don't confuse that. Repent tonight and get in line with what Jesus has given us by His apostles, what's taught and preached and practiced in this church.